Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Bill Bradley Collective. This episode was recorded on January 15th, 2020, months before a global pandemic. In this episode, we discuss some things that are still relevant today, including global warming, Donald Trump, and women's soccer. So please enjoy a look into season zero. We were kind of figuring out what this podcast is going to be. We do apologize for some of the audio quality. We weren't up to scuff yet. And towards the end, we're all playing with an idea of kind of doing some weekly picks that we didn't end up doing for the podcast. But during that, you do get to hear Ed make some pretty remarkable takes on a popular NFL quarterback. And after that, you've got some outtakes and us planning the first few weeks of the Bill Bradley Collective. Enjoy. Thank you for tuning in to the Bill Bradley Collective. A weekly podcast where we cover sports and politics in a whole new way. With your hosts, Ed, Zach, and Andrew. So this week, we will be talking about the Astros cheating scandal, yesterday's Trump rally, and women's soccer pay disparity. And then we'll be talking about the Australian Open, the last outdoor sporting event ever. <laughs> Andrew. Good evening, Ed. Good evening. So, this week, Major League Baseball concluded their investigation into the 2017 world champion Houston Astros and their involvement in a season-long sign-stealing scandal. I'd like to discuss the penalties levied by Commissioner Rob Manfred and my take on their relative effectivity towards discouraging this sort of reprehensible organizational behavior. What did the Astros do exactly? They set up a camera in center field of their home stadium, Minute Maid Park. This video feed picked up the catcher signals from 500 feet away behind home plate. Said video played in the tunnel between the home dugout and clubhouse where a team staffer would, through whistling and banging on trash cans, very 2017, I suppose, um, would transfer the signals that way to the dugout and the player at bat. Not great. Not, not, not great. Let's get to the penalties. Uh, General Manager Jeff Lunau was given a one-year suspension. Manager, A.J. Hinch, a one-year suspension. The team was fined. The organization was fined uh, a league maximum $5 million, and they were stripped of their next two first and their next two second round draft picks. One by one here. Lunau suspension. This is the guy, he's overseeing the whole operation. If you read the report, all nine pages, it's mostly mundane, but there's some pretty juicy shit in there. Lunau did not have, was not believed to be that, uh, explicitly involved, but this is this is his operation. This is his team. This is he's got to you know pay the penalty. Hinch manager Hinch similarly was not did not explicitly approve of this. In fact, there's a funny detail in the report where he would sort of do this silent protest of like knocking over the monitor or banging the monitor with a baseball bat <laughs> to sort of like express his disapproval, which is very bizarre behavior. Um, which tells me that clearly. The, the, the order um, came from above, that this was, this was approved from a position above Hinch, and he really had no choice but to go along with it. I think those two, the penalties they received, were appropriate. As far as the... Uh, and I'd be remiss to not mention that they were also fired by Houston ownership, which to me... And this is and I look at the, the $5 million fine, and I look at the draft picks, and I, and I look at the owner firing these guys well of course he's going to fire them because what's he going to do this he's out of manager he's out of gm and what's he going to do what's you know he's just around for a year oh you're back in 2021 and no 
and he 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 met the media and he talks about how like we got to get this franchise this, this is these are not the values that we want to project uh, what Houston stands for what the Astros stand for you know I kind of call bullshit on that because if you're the owner of this team you know one of two things one the fact that this is your team your franchise you if you don't know about this that's not a good look which is what he's basically saying that's not a good look two so if you're ownership and you don't know about this and you plead ignorance that's not a good look. And if you do kind of have a, a somewhat knowledge of it, that's not a good look either. Do something. So I do think Manfred let the organization off lightly. I think that most franchises, especially a, a franchise like the Astros, starved for a title, would trade if they had to say, if they had to sacrifice a, a GM, sacrifice a manager, sacrifice four draft picks, sacrifice five million, which is peanuts to these guys, for a world championship they would do it. I don't see how that penalty so much de-incentivizes cheating. There is one more sort of punishment has not been levied to bench coach uh, Alex Cora, who was relieved of his duties as manager of the Boston Red Sox yesterday. Um, it is believed um, via the report that he was the sort of mastermind of this entire signal stealing scandal. The penalty is expected to be large, more than what Hinch received, more than what Lunau received. We'll see what happens. But he's also he's already lost his, his current job. And I know Zach over there is chopping up the bit to get into Alex Cora. The fact that Alex Cora is viewed as the mastermind is um, news to anyone who's watched a Red Sox game. I also call bullshit on the owner. Well, how did I know? Somebody paid for that camera. My guess would be it showed up on an invoice by someone. They like, didn't find the camera that could take crystal clear pictures from 400 feet away and aim it in an angle that's not on television because there's now two angles from the same place one for tv and one for not it's the combination of high tech and low tech that i find kind of endearing about this bill veck when he was the owner of the st louis browns put the fences on wheels and would move them in and out depending on the opponent they played in the game so if he played a team with a lot of power like the yankees he'd move them way, way out. If he played a team with no power like the White Sox, he'd move them way, way in. So the, they didn't have any distance on them. That was made illegal, but it was delightfully low-tech. It's the high-tech part that's kind of annoying and upsetting. It's like if the Velvet Underground was a prog band. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I agree with you, Andrew. The, the punishment is absolutely insufficient. It's not going to disincentivize anyone from doing anything because – you would absolutely give $5 million to win a World Series ring. It's the most important thing in the world to those guys because that's what they spend their life doing. Where I come down is the year's suspension for the coach and the owner, you know, I think that's fine. It should be stronger for Cora because Cora was the one who figured out how to put it all together. And not only did that help the Astros win the World Series in 2017, potentially, it also helped the Red Sox, potentially, win the World Series in 2018. I mean, something tells me that if Alex Cora just won a World Series using the technology he developed to get the Astros a World Series, that the odds of him coming over to the Red Sox, which has a fans have a very short patience, the odds of him not using that seem almost astronomically slim. He should be banned for life. You know, when we look at players and we look at incidences in baseball that have tainted World Series, because that's what this did, it tainted a World Series. Black Sox, banned for life. You know, even if you just talk about in you know hurting the integrity of the game, Pete Rose, banned for life. 
How Alex Cora can walk away from this with one certain, but almost two, potentially two back-to-back asterisks on a World Series win at a time when baseball is trying to come back and become more interesting and get more fans. He should be gone for life. I don't see how we ever let him in again. To wrap this up, I feel like, and this is going to touch more franchises than just Houston and Boston, this this scandal. Um, I feel like we're going to revisit this in the future when, if MLB does their due diligence and investigates some of these other allegations, because not only core in Boston, it's come to light that, you know, so the, the players um, were all given immunity from suspension from the 2017 team. They talked to the commissioner, and in return, they got immunity, no penalties. Carlos Beltran was one of the players, one of the veteran leaders on that 2017 Astros team. He was employed by the Yankees in 2019 in a front office sort of advisory position, and he was uh, named recently the manager of the New York Mets. Uh, his tenure of the Mets, as, as manager of the Mets, uh, could go down in history as one of the shortest in the history of being a pro sports coach. He'll probably never actually coach a game. Because it's looking like the Mets are going are gonna to cut ties with Beltran. It's come to light that there might have been two masterminds, Cora and player Beltran. As a Yankee fan, and I, and I think of Beltran and I, in 2019 with the Yankees and how good, just how much better that offense was than what it looked like on paper uh, in spring training, there's a lot more to this than just the Astros. All right, so I was going to talk about female sportscasters in, in a positive way, but then I got too angry. Aaron Rupert from Vox and Greg Sargent from the Washington Post pointed out today that we did not learn one fucking thing from 2016 because they talked about NPR's coverage of the Trump rally yesterday in Wisconsin. NPR said he snapped back at the impeachment proceeding. He didn't talk about the impeachment proceedings, really, except he said he demanded that Hillary Clinton be put in prison and encouraged yet another lock her up chant. He dismissed Adam Schiff as a pencil neck. He dismissed the coastal areas and uh, where he doesn't have a lot of support and where a lot of the Democrats are from is disgusting and rodent infested. And BR said that the claim that Mexico is paying for the wall that he made at the meeting has been debunked. Although debunked doesn't begin to talk about it. It's clearly a fucking lie. He knows it's a lie. Mexico's paid nothing and no one thinks they have except for the mouth-breathing yokels there. NPR said he defended the drone strike. He didn't defend the drone strike. In reality, he threatened to bomb Iran so it couldn't recover in 30 years, if ever. And the place went crazy. And then they never pointed out that the, at the exact moment Trump was talking about how he's getting rid of low-flow dishwashers and describing the dishwashers in a way that made it clear he had no goddamn idea how dishwashers work. He's never seen one. He's never been in the room with one in his entire life. At that exact moment, a couple hundred miles away, the Democrats were arguing about how to address climate change. Ignoring these differences is not a lack of bias. That is bias. Acknowledging facts is not bias. Ignoring facts is bias. Nobody is going to give NPR a fucking medal for maintaining their bogus objectivity while our country burns to the ground. And by the way, no one at that rally is donating to NPR, so they don't have to worry about that either. I always think about during the last three years how we always heard uh, the media say, and this is the day Donald Trump became president. And, like, all he did was say two sentences and not 
you know, go off on a rant about how Scott Bayo is handsome. It is, you're 100% correct, is that the media believes not being biased and being fair means presenting both sides as equal. But when you have a guy up there ranting about the explosions in the dishwasher and that five minutes later the dishes would be there, and, you know, how he says China created global warming and it's a hoax, which we're going to talk, you know, climate change being a topic we're going to talk about later, versus... You know, the Democrats who go, well, yeah, of course it's real. Here's how we solve it. Those things are not equal. They should not be covered equally. It is not fair to cover them equal. If anything, it's doing a disservice to journalism in general because at some point journalism is responsible for saying, yeah, this is objectively wrong. You know, Washington Post has their stupid Pinocchio things. How about they use that? On the on his on him, you know, and and you talk about the wall. I remember that little sycophant, Lindsey Graham, during the uh, primary, talking about how well any anything that makes a margarita more expensive doesn't seem worth it to me. And now people just forget that he said that and move on, and they act as if like nothing matters. What is said yesterday doesn't impact today, and that everything is equal. And it's just it, it's mind boggling to watch. There was a line from this rally last night, and it's funny you mentioned Lindsey Graham, because, and I have no context for this, I just kind of saw the, the quote tweeted out, and he refers to Lindsey Graham as, a, as like a deceptively good golfer. Like, you wouldn't believe how good of a golfer he is. And it's like, wh- who in the fuck cares about how good of a golfer Lindsey Graham is? Like, are you fucking kidding me? It speaks to Washington Post, New York Times, National Public Radio. You know, these are, we like to think of them as legitimate news organizations, and I, and they are, and but they are so complicit in the sort of normalization of Trump and the normalization of just Trump's rhetoric of just it's it's they give him this fair shake that he, <laughs> it's not a fair that he doesn't most certainly does not deserve is not worthy of the, the Washington Post has been, I think, the best on this. And the New York Times has been just horrifying. At some point, this is not normal. He is not Mitt Romney. He is not. John McCain. I didn't like John McCain or Mitt Romney, but they were politicians who saw the world differently than I did. That's not what we have now. Zach? And I think uh, what we're going to round up our rant with is a very uplifting topic, which is the equal pay issue and pay disparity um, in women's soccer. Uh, This was a highly publicized lawsuit uh, right before the World Cup at the parade when they won. It made me very proud in a way I hadn't felt in a long time uh, to be an American when everyone in the crowd chanted equal pay at the head of the U.S. Soccer Federation. I found that to be a good moment. In general, I want to start by saying, you know, women in society overall make roughly 80% of what a man makes for the same work across pretty much every job classification. That gets significantly worse when it comes to black women. They make 62% of what a man makes and Latino women who make 54%. You know, this was done in a study when they looked at not just, you know, oh, well, this person's a CEO and this person isn't. It is same job, same everything. And in 2019, the U.S. women's soccer team filed a lawsuit against the U.S. Soccer Federation, who's the employer of both the men and the women's team, because we don't have a nationalized sports team. We outsource it to private corporations. The women's team is arguably the most successful American national team of all time. They're arguably one up there with being one of the most successful soccer teams of all time. They have won four World Cups. Uh, They have won four Olympic gold medals. 
I'm sure somebody who is more of a fan of soccer than I am understands what this means, but it, they've won eight CONCACAF, C-O-N-C-A-C-A-F, gold cups. Eight seems like a lot, even if I don't know what the tournament is. An example of the pay discrimination, because a lot of people have talked about this, well, oh, the men do this and the women do that, is that the men's team, if they had won in 2018, they didn't, they're not very good, they would have earned a $38 million bonus that would have been spread out among the players. In 2015, when the U.S. soccer women's team won their third World Cup, they were given a bonus of $2 million to split among the, all the players. And in 2019, the U.S. Soccer Federation was generous enough to double it to $4 million spread out among them. And it's not just the bonuses, it's also the base pay. From 2014 to 2016, when men soccer players tried out for the team and made the team, they were paid $55,000. When women would try out and make the team, they earned $15,000 for a pay gap of $40,000. This goes beyond pay discrimination, though. It goes also to playing conditions and what they're subjected to. Artificial surface is a big debate in soccer. They're trying to get away from it because artificial surfaces uh, increase risk of injury to players, particularly knee injuries, ankle injuries, uh, and it also affects the way the ball moves. Men had to play 2% of their games on an artificial surface. Women had to play 21% of their games on an artificial surface. And, you know, we've seen this argument be made that, well, men are more popular, uh, they're the ones that everyone knows, and they bring in more revenue. Well, the Wall Street Journal, the liberal bastion that it is, uh, had an article that showed that between 2016 and 2018, the U.S. women's national team brought in $50.8 million in revenue. And the U.S. men's national team brought in $49.9 million in revenue. They also went into it and talked about how when the U.S. Soccer Federation had a $700,000 deficit, it was the U.S. women's team that subsidized the Soccer Federation to cover that gap and allowed them to make a $17 million profit. I bring this up because, one, it, is, it shows just the inequity that we have when it comes to value of labor in our country. But also, I started with the pay gap in society. Because if it shows that you know, the elites, the wealthy, the people who own corporations, who run businesses, the powers that be, if they can do this to athletes that make up one of the greatest national American teams of all time, a real point of pride for us, if they can do this to Megan Rapinoe, who is an inspiring athlete of the year, then they're going to do it to you too. It also shows just the inherent hypocritical bullshit in capitalism. I get it when... It said, well, look what the NBA players make and look at what the WNBA players make. I get that because the difference in earnings is everything. I mean, it's enormous. But I am not a soccer fan whatsoever. I could name off the top of my head seven women soccer players. I could not name one male soccer player who, from the American team. I couldn't name one because why would I be able to? They, I never see them. They're never playing in important games. The women are the driving force of soccer in this country. You go to see a kid's game, and there's more girls than boys. Why? Well, because the women's team's really good, and they're role models. The other sport where you kind of see that to a lesser degree is tennis, where women's tennis is, at least in this country, more popular than male tennis, except they're not paid that way. Capitalism only works when it reinforces the patriarchy. When it doesn't, there's an exemption. I will say, and everything, everything Zach, you both said is right, except for one thing. And it's one thing where tennis has kind of taken the lead on, at least at the 
not at the tour level, but at the ITF, USTA level, where in the Grand Slams, and all four of them, the Aussie Open, the French Open, Wimbledon, the US Open, equal pay for men and women. And even in that sense where you've got the men, if they can do it in tennis, where the men play best of five sets, women play best of three sets, how can they not figure out how to do it in any other sport? You know what and I mean? That's, like, o- that's only true in the majors. In the majors. Uh, not, not at the tour level, but at the, the highest level. Yeah. They, they do have, there is equal pay. And it's, and it's way too recently introduced, believe me. But they have, the, the, the governing bodies have introduced equal pay in, in the majors. Yeah. And I think, you know, that you're, never. you're right when you talk about, you know, this is what capitalism does and it reinforces it. And this is what happens when you have national teams run by private organizations. What would stop this would be if they were subject to federal guidelines because they're federal employees and that there would be a process for them to get this rectified other than through the courts and through mediation and where there will be some judge who will overwhelmingly be an older white male ruling on if they if women get to get paid more than men. And if they're federal employees, they would be unionized because the federal government is largely unionized. Absolutely. And we'll be right back after a word from Dollar Shave Club. We've all heard of the Dollar Shave Club, and I'm excited to tell you that I just joined the club. I met an old man downtown who I believe was a consultant for Dollar Shave Club. For just $1, he led me up to the corner of Benton and Riverside and asked around for Rusty Razor Rick. And once he crept out from behind his office dumpster, I just handed Mr. Razor $1, and let me tell you, this guy shaved everything. I am a hairless goddess. So anyways, I guess that's how you join the Dollar Shave Club. I asked him about a monthly subscription, but he assured me that there's really no need. You can just go up to his office. You just have to open and slam the dumpster lid, and that's going to wake up the raccoons that he uses as blankets. And then he's ready to roll. You just have to be alone. That is very important. Welcome to the club. For our main topic, we're going to talk about the Australian Open which is being played in about the most dire circumstances possible. Zach, do I talk about what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, right now, uh, there are currently wildfires that are still burning, uh, albeit much uh, less more contained than they were over the last prior months, but they had been burning since July of 2019. The smoke in the wildfire was so bad that it actually can be seen from space. Uh, That is how bad this fire was. And it's actually, there have been climate scientists who believe that the smoke will travel around the world one time, one full cycle around the world before dissipating fully. It's so bad, it turned the sky in New Zealand orange, uh, and the air quality has consistently been rated as very unhealthy. It has been a nightmare down there in Australia, and right now the players are being subjected to playing in it, and the fans are being subjected to watching the players in it, because they are refusing to delay the tournament in any meaningful way. We saw uh, yesterday Dalila Jakupovic, who was in a qualifying match. She's ranked in the 200s. She was unable to continue. She was winning the match and collapsed in the ground during it in a coughing fit because she couldn't breathe anymore. It's very rare for someone who's winning a match to voluntarily quit. Uh, Maria Sharapova was in a match that was abandoned completely due to air quality. And a lot of these reasons are that according to an expert professor, Ed Avil, from the University of South Carolina, athletes are particularly, and especially athletes like tennis, uh, soccer players we talked about before, but tennis players in particular, are a very sensitive group to pollutants and to suffer the effects of bad air quality uh, because they 
undertake so much physical activity, and that increases the amount of air someone takes in per minute. So essentially, you're having these people that are acting kind of how, as a supercharged exhaust system because they're athletes, and there's no real formalized rules uh, to protect these athletes either. They're trying to kind of figure it out. They know how to do it when it comes to extreme heat, which is something I'm sure we'll talk about in our next segment about the effects of climate change on sports, but they're kind of figuring this out on their own. And a brief shout-out to the NCAA, it's when there was a similar thing on the 2018 California brush fires that was causing very dangerous air pollutants, the NCAA actually postponed the college games uh, instead of s- subjecting the athletes to this, which is what we're, we're frankly seeing in Australia. It's an historically bad uh, brush fire season in Australia. They have it every summer. There's, it's, it's like a brush fire. There's, it's like a season where this, this shit unfortunately happens. And this year it happens to be much worse than it's been in, in history. The Australian Open, and this is the peak of Australian summer, this mid-late January, this tournament, you, you could take brush fires out of the equation. In past years, the Australian Open, it's the most physically grueling test of tennis. Just the objective, just the heat in Melbourne this time of year. Uh, it's, it's outdoors. There's only They have one indoor show court that where really just the, the marquee players really get to play. You see in years past, they have, they'll delay on almost a, not quite a daily basis, but there'll be multiple delays during the two weeks for air quality, for heat, for them to go ahead with this tournament. I mean, you're going to see, you're going to see delays. You're going to see, and, and I hope you'll see, I hope, hopefully they will protect the players, protect the fans. But I mean, this, this tournament is grueling and it's, it's like unhealthy enough as it is. And you've got this like historically bad air quality. Um, I don't believe this tournament should go on. I don't, I don't think they should be having it. It should be postponed or, I don't, know what, I don't know what the answer is, but I think they're putting players and fans, they're putting commerce ahead of safety. Do, Dad, do you think that there's a lot of push by sponsors, you know, tennis has a lot of sponsors, to put these players in the position of having to play purely because they don't want to miss out on the ad revenue, they don't want to miss out on, on the revenue they would gain from this tournament? Well, well of course, t- tennis is not the most financially healthy sport. It's a four tournament sport. They've canceled the pilot. They've, I think they've canceled the pilot pen tour. Uh, uh, yes, tour in, in New Haven. Which, you know, I mean, the fact I didn't know it and I lived there gives an indication of how popular that was. It's so the sponsors in, in tennis itself are saying we have to have this, but then what they're doing is is acknowledging in the most hypocritical and malevolent way possible the dangers because. They're subjecting their least popular players to the highest damage, and they're doing everything they can to schedule around their most popular players. So it's not even just, let's make sure the good players get into prime time. It's, let's make sure the good players are still breathing when the tournament's over. And that is a dangerous, I mean, completely immoral, but it's also a dangerous precedent to set because as we are moving into a world where climate change is going to impact outdoor sports. It gives an indication of where the sports leadership is thinking of going. If there is, and I use this term very sort of like cautiously, if there is one silver lining to this, where I, I think this, this tournament, this next couple of weeks could be a sort of maybe a, a realization. It's a pretty, I mean, this is one of, the, like you said, it's one of the four flagship events of this sport. And tennis is much bigger internationally than it is in the States. There's no question about that. It's much bigger in Australia than it is here. No question. But people that tune in stateside, we'll just, let's just say stateside on ESPN, 
on the tennis channel. They're going to tune in for tennis and what they're going to see are just like the ravages of climate change. And they're going to see, they're going to see it first and it's it's going to be a huge part of the narrative on TV and rightfully so and hopefully what that will do is maybe wake certain people up to what's really going on. But of but of course the Australian government itself is to saying it's not climate change mm-hmm. that they're doing an inquiry to figure out what started the fires in Victoria which I think is the province there because they don't want to acknowledge it because they of course have elected a right-wing lunatic to be their leader. Yeah, no, Scott Morrison is making their former prime minister, Tony Abbott, look like Howard Dean. You know, and I think that he brought up a good point about the least popular players having to go first, is that you have to wonder if Rafael Nadal or, or Novak Djokovic or Stefanos Tsitsipas had to Well play. done. Thank you. Uh, that was not phonetically even spelled out. Uh, that, was pretty, that was pretty right, pretty dead on. If they had to play this week, if they were qualifying, if there were different moves, if the tournament was um, two weeks earlier, what the tournament would have done, what the U.S. Open would have done, what the pressure from sponsors would have done, what the pressures from Nadal's own sponsors would have been. Because at the end of the day, I mean, what they're subjecting these people to is potentially things that could endanger and shorten their lives because of the effects of climate change. And, and, you know, Dad, you brought up a good point about how they're just denying it. I don't think that this is going to be the first or last event that will be impacted by climate change. I think it's only going to get worse from here. This is probably the best case scenario for what we're going to see. Well, we've seen it with the Winter Olympics where it is, I mean, there's always been the vagaries of weather, but there's a certainty of climate. We're seeing that in the Winter Olympics, they're having a harder and harder time finding places that have remotely predictable weather. We'll begin to see this in the Summer Olympics too, uh, unless it's, hopefully banned, that these big outdoor events, we'll see it in FIFA, where these big, out in the World Cup, the big outdoor events are going to be dramatically impacted, and the concern is that the less popular players are going to be viewed as expendable, and the most popular players are going to be kind of protected from it, and not every athlete is as willing to use his or her earning power for social change, as Serena Williams is. I don't. I want to touch on this just briefly. That, so there's a the ATP and WTA, the, the respective men's women's stores and tennis. They have there's a, there is an indoor season, and it's generally in fall. It's in the fall. It's in Europe. It's when it's it's too cold to play outside in Europe. There's been talk of maybe sort of transitioning one of the majors into an indoor event, and it's just not it's not conceivable. There's 127 men's singles matches, 127 women's singles matches, 63. Men's, women's, it's just, it, it can't be done. There's no, like, the infrastructure is not there anywhere in the world. So that's not an option. Uh, you bring up these players, for all of the talk, uh, and, and Serena, as a global ambassador, absolutely. I hear a lot about Federer and Nadal and Djokovic, the big three men's tennis, as, you know, they have these reputations of being, like, very charitable, global ambassadors of the game, this and that. I have not heard very much from any of the three on what's going on right now in Australia. No, I mean, I think it's, it's, you're right. It's, you know, Nadal, who would, you know, be a very important voice in this tournament, his statement on it was, well, you know, I really hope they don't have to delay it, but they might. That was it. Nothing about this is the effects of climate change. Nothing about, <laughs> like, it, it is immoral to put the 200th ranked player through this and protect the first ranked player. But he is not the first and he won't be the last athlete who puts their corporate sponsorships 
over their social conscience. I'm a big fan of LeBron James, and LeBron James has been an outstanding advocate for social change until he hit something that affected his wallet. And then suddenly he was looking for an exit door. That doesn't mean that we ignore or, or demean the positive things he's done. We can have both thoughts in our head. It would be even more impressive if he had stood with the people of Taiwan when it affected him. Climate change, of course, is a different thing in some ways because the enemies seem clear, but they're hard to get to. Realistically, I think, do the older, I mean, I don't know what the answer is. Do the top players owe it to the people who will suffer the most to say, yeah, I'll play this event in two weeks, but I'm not playing it now. If the biggest men's players and the biggest women's players said, I'm willing to play this in two weeks, I'm not willing to play it now, what would they do? They'd delay it two weeks. Well, I think a, a difference is, is one is tennis is, because you're right. If they had said that, that'd be correct. But the other something else, which is do they owe it to uh, the people most affected, which I, I believe yes. But all of us that have played sports have played team sports where you do what you have to do to help the least on the team be the best they can. And tennis is a very individualized centric sport if Novak Djokovic or Rafael Nadal are not going to feel the impacts of this they've been playing tennis by themselves their whole lives well they've usually had one other well yeah (laughs) you you need that you need that other guy most people were like me and just hit a ball against the wall (laughs) um but I think that you know it on one hand it you wish that they would act better but on there's a little bit of understanding to it much less much more so uh, than people who are in teen sports. But, Dad, you talked about a thing like Qatar, which is climate change and, and the impact. And I just want to talk a little bit about the way that climate change has impacted Australia, especially, since we are talking about the Open and, and why this happened. Australia, right now, the reason why this happened is that typically they have brush fires. But due to a increase in warming, uh, Australia is currently about 1.4 degrees Celsius warmer than the global average temperature was pre-industrial period. Um, I wonder why that happened. My guess would be factories, but President Trump would say China, and as the New York Times would say, we'll agree to disagree. It caused this very dry, arid environment in the wilderness out there in Australia. You know, a lot of people tend to live on the coast because the middle of the country is very thick with brush. And when it got this dry, it's not that hard for a fire to start. The UK uh, did a study according to the BBC, where they looked at 57 research papers since 2013, which was the last time there was a big climate study done. And every single study, all 57, uh, showed links between climate change and an increased frequency or severity of fire weather, which is what we're seeing right now. This is a direct link. We have seen climate change causing dry conditions and then a frequency of severity weather, fire starting in Australia and burning. What this has done is it has killed millions upon millions of acres of land. It's killed 24 people, or about two dozen. So you could, you know, they, they aren't the first deaths caused by climate change, but it's something that we should start acknowledging is that their death was caused by climate change. And they slaughtered uh, an estimated about half a billion animals in the country, so koalas and other animals. And luckily, uh, there have been some animals that have done much more than Scott Morrison's government has. Uh, one would be the mighty wombat. Yeah, the wombat story is incredible because the wombat's homes are fire retardant because they're deep in the earth. I like the word wombat. It never occurred to me to wonder what a wombat actually was. And it looks like it's a rodent the size of a small cow. It's kind of terrifying the way things are in Australia. 
the, the big heroes are not the athletes, not the government. It's the wombat and the sex workers have been the people who have rallied together, uh, have been the, the groups that have uh, – <laughs> the groups who have, who have gotten together and actually done something. You have uh, these web models that are raising hundreds of thousands of dollars um, for – I, I, I feel like this is kind of putting it bluntly, maybe too simplistically, of, but of basically selling uh, nudes of themselves – for money, and that money goes directly towards the efforts in Australia to combat this. That's exactly and what they're doing. Exa- yeah. <laughs> I think I get that right, right? There's no oh, other way to say it. Okay. Yeah. All right. I nailed it. Now, Brandon, you mentioned it last night and how and these, these girls are doing this like amazing, and it is amazing, this philanthropy, and they're getting like penalized. They're losing their Instagram accounts, and they're, and they're losing their... Their livelihoods, it's their job, effectively, like they are influencers. That's how they make make a their living, and it's like they're getting punished for doing more than what like the many of the world's foremost billionaires and, and elite are not doing. The example that I gave last night was that it's like Zach going in to ask me and going, "Hey, I want to do a, a a run for cancer," and them going, "Yeah, we don't like cancer. You're fired." Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it goes to show that nature doesn't have a corporate owner yet because when you do that, you know, if they're selling purses, that's fine. But I do think that the impact long-term, the relationships between sports and climate is going to be a big issue. At some point, someone's going to mention that if we have a finite supply of water, 12% of it shouldn't be used to keep the greens in great shape on golf courses, which, by the way, don't have to pay highest use rates on the land, that it may make us re-examine some of the things that we do, or instead we'll just all die earlier because we won't do it, um, which probably seems more likely. You, you and I, you and I both uh, learned to play golf on a very unirrigated course, and we got very good at it. I like to think that that's why when we play good courses, our scores are so high. Yeah, but it's, it, 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 it's, I think you, know, you bring up a good point about sports in the future and, and how what we're going to have to acknowledge because one thing that no one's been said about is the reason why this is such a problem with the Australian Open and why this is causing so many uh, such an impact on the players is it's an outdoor court. The vast majority, well, I guess it would be over 95, 98% of sports stadiums where sports are being played are outdoor stadiums, aside from hockey and basketball. Baseball stadiums are all outdoors, minus like five, and even those have retractable roofs. Most yeah, NFL stadiums, same with football, yeah. yeah, most NFL stadiums are outdoors, but you know, soccer stadiums, uh, golf court, golf whatever. courses, and golf courses are environmental disasters. I love golf. I want to play. I hope I play golf the rest of my life. It, it is not worth the water that we're using, especially when we have areas like Las Vegas, uh, which, due to climate change, is on a water shortage. And this is not just unique to Las Vegas; it's going to be unique in Las Vegas, by the way, a city which is on a water shortage, which is going to put up billions of dollars in a football stadium that they're going to have to irrigate. And when we deal with climate change, that's only going to mean sports stadiums that are in outdoor arid areas, like a desert, the way Las Vegas is, or the way the Australian Open is in, is that it's going to be only worse. That this this is not going to get better for them. It's only going to be harder and worse conditions. And we seem to have, and, and I'm sure much of it is because our federal government still you know, we get a report saying we have 12, now 10 years left to turn the needle back, uh, doesn't believe in it. So why would corporations believe in it? There's no incentive to believe in it. They just simply believe that the people who will be able to afford to attend the games 
will be the ones who, you know, are rich. I think you have it the other way around. The government doesn't believe in it because the corporations don't want them to believe in it. It's not vice versa. Yes. You know, we've talked here about how football, you have to make some kind of compromises with your conscience on football. Clearly, for boxing fans, you have to make compromises with your conscience on boxing. But now it's golf. Now it's it's sports in general because the impact on the climate benefits, hurts the many to benefit those who have more disposable income. So the United States Golf Association, you won't find a harsher critic of them and what they do than me. One thing they have they have initiated in the last like half decade is they're trying to with their, via the U.S. Open, their flagship championship, one of golf's four majors. They're trying to promote limited water use. Uh, if I think back to 2014 at Pinehurst, they had the U.S. Open Pinehurst, North Carolina. It's one of the historic courses in America. And it's always ever been seen on on TV as this like pristine green, um, green, green. That's, you know, 2014. Well, you know, this is June 2014. It's hot in North Carolina. They didn't use much water. And on TV, it came off. It was it was like the courses, the munis that we've grown up playing. It was burnt out. It was fast and firm. And guess what? It was a great tournament. It was a great test. I hope going forward that they continue with this initiative and that courses across the country sort of follow in, in the USGA's lead. I just hope they can I, – I, I hope it's not an empty pledge and that it's actually something that could lead to change. You know, this has been a slightly more dour episode than normal. <laughs> I do want to mention something. And when we talk about how – you know, what's going on in Australia, the responsibility of these players – and there have been players – typically the ones who are not getting a lot of news time, but stepping up and saying, like, this is wrong and trying to hold corporate America or corporate Australia, global corporate entities accountable. And when we talk about climate change in general and how Australia, you know, really doesn't, has a, has an awful government climate record in that when you have a country like America, which is one of the largest producers of, of climate pollutants, not doing anything, is that what is most hopeful is that, especially as we go into an election year, especially as we go into this fight going into the future, is if sex workers were willing to put their livelihoods on the line, um, which they did, they got fired, and raise $2 million to try to help people thousands of miles away, then regardless what the government wants, I mean, we got the sex workers on our side, we got the people on our side, like we we got the wombats on our side, you know, it's slightly heartening, um, because you said it best, before that about climate change, which is it's not really an enemy. You know, when, when you're fighting a boss, you can say, my boss is an asshole. You can't say nature's an asshole. And you can't say, like, the Cokes and EB, or not EB, although they're a giant producer of pollutants, but that's a, we love EB and we love EB in New London. <laughs> but, you know, the Koch brothers, BP, all these big oil companies, you know, they're too amorphous. They're too much of a blob. And we can't fight against them. But what we can do is just try to do what we can for each other. And I think that that's what we saw uh, from as small down to the wombats to to the sex workers to, you know, the firefighters in America who are willing to go over there and spend time away from their family to help fight a fire to help people thousands upon thousands of miles away from them. Well, that's a, a, a positive, if unconvincing, way to end. And we'll be right back with our picks of the week. But first, a quick word from our new sponsor, Indate, a dating app for the ladies. Hey ladies, are you sick of the never-ending cycle of bad dates brought on by the plethora of dating sites out there? Feeling scared knowing that your dreadful one-night stand now knows where you live until you move away? Then you need to check out our new app, where the people you're matched up with will never see where you live. You need InDate. 
the dating app that matches you up with real-life prison inmates. Plenty of fish, more like plenty of flops. With Indate, each inmate and app-using suitor is given an in-depth questionnaire to make the most accurate matches based on preferences, interests, and apathy. Okay, Cupid, more like no way stupid. The user interface makes it easy and fun to sort inmates by crime, time, and everything in between. So if you like frustrated pen pals, occasional timed visits, and no physical contact, and I know you do, ladies, then you'll love Indate. Get yourself a life sentence of love with Indate. So now, the bets of the week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Brandon. It is the eve of the return of the notorious Conor McGregor coming into UFC 246 to face Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Uh, right now, the Vegas line has Connor as the favorite, losing 350, with Cowboy Cerrone being plus 275. Uh, Andrew, with you. Watch a lot of fights. Who are you taking in this? Conor McGregor might be, as far as high-profile athletes in the world today, might be my least favorite. I have a lot of personal animus towards him. I think he's a piece of shit. Um, I'll be rooting very hard against him. And he's had this long layoff. And the last time we saw him, he got his ass handed to him. Totally outclassed. Um, and Cerrone's kind of like the opposite of like, there's nothing not to like about this guy. He's, he's, he makes good fight. He just, that's what he does. He's Arturo Gatti of UFC. He makes good fights. Uh, and I'll be rooting hard for him. Unfortunately, you know, plus 275 is not enough for me to, to go with him. I think McGregor is just going to, McGregor will find a way to just outclass and, and wear him down. I think, I think Cerrone gets stopped third, fourth round. I, I will admit that I tend to find MMA to be boxing's annoying little brother uh and when you see Cop mcgregor completely outclassed by a boxer it's you know i don't know i would say this in any contact sport it's hard to take a very long time off and uh the history of that is not good so um i take the 275 there's nothing that can be said about mcgregor that hasn't been said already i mean i i think uh he's gonna win i don't necessarily think uh time off that he should be a 350 i mean for ufc that's a huge line for ufc we we used to see lines like 150 125 for like big favorites i think the 275 on Cerrone that'd probably be enough for for me to put some money down and hope for the upset i I would have said that going in before the mcgregor uh uh, mayweather fight i would have bet a thousand dollars that mayweather would never be in the ring with a worse human being than him and i would have lost Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I mean, you guys have all said it. Uh, Cowboys, I, if, if my memory is correct, he's coming off two losses. Uh, one was a yeah. horrible stoppage. It was a great fight, but he was still going to lose when it came to the cards. I, I have to take Conor McGregor, and I think it's probably in less than two. All right. Well, this weekend we also have the championship playoff games. It's finally here. Whoever had a futures bet on the Tennessee Titans at the beginning of the year, I'm sure, is hedge. <laughs> Put something in the bank. Put a little bit in the bank. After that, after that guy's having a very fun week. So this weekend we have in the NFC, we have the Packers Niners coming up. Uh, they played earlier this year. The Niners, I apologize, Brandon. Uh, the Niners just kind of embarrassed the Packers um, and made them look non-competitive. I think that has had to do a lot with. Don't where, hold back. I think that has had to do a lot to where this line is, and the line opened at seven and a half for the Niners. And I heard this analogy on the Mina Kimes show. A guy said, "If if you do a couple, and they had a ter- they didn't get along, they broke up, they had a terrible fight, and then four weeks later you said, oh, we 'Oh, we're dating again.' 
you would bet that they would break up again because nothing changes that much in four weeks. Um, the reason the Niners are a seven and a half point favorite over the Packers is they are much better than the Packers. I don't understand why the Packers win. You watch them, they look unimpressive. Aaron Rodgers is now like maybe the 14th or 15th best quarterback in the NFL. And um, I, I, uh, I like the Packers. Um, I like the Niners. I like the Niners giving seven and a half a lot. I wouldn't even tease the Packers at 14 and a half. Um, I'm on the Packers here. Uh, um, that, that's, a gr- that's a great analogy, but... You know, I, I I've seen it too many times of like these of these regular season matchups, and then they happen in the playoffs. You know, Jets Patriots twenty eleven when they buried the ball. Remember that game, Zach? Forty five to three regular season divisional playoffs. Jets went up to Foxborough. They won. Watch the Giants do it to the Packers. Uh, the second Super Bowl run the year late uh, the year after. I don't put much stock in like one regular season game. Um, although it was it was recent and it was an ass kicking. I'm not ready for Jimmy G, and he's not given he's not given a lot of responsibility really in that offense, um, which I think is going to be to their benefit. And I and I also don't think that that, that stadium is much is worth much of an advantage. It's going to be a good weather game. Uh, I don't know. Give me give me Rogers pedigree. One more Super Bowl for him. This could be it. Uh, yeah, the Packers get yeah. more than a touchdown. I mean, yeah. When I first saw this line as a Packers fan, I was just frightened. I was like, that's just enough points to think that the Niners are going to win, but there's a chance I get to go to the game, so I have to go with the Packers on this one. They're going to cover it and win. Let's go. The spicy take of the night would definitely be Aaron Rodgers being the 14th best quarterback yeah, in the NFL after he threw two interceptions pretty, this year. Pretty, I think he was pretty efficient this year. He, he, he threw three interceptions this year. He was he had a very good Alex Smith season. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, that's, oh um, so what? We'll, I, I game manager. <laughs> my disagreement with you on 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 this game and, and things changing much is, you know, Andrew and I during the uh, the Niners game last week, we, we were looking over Jimmy G's stats because we were like, ah, you know, what was his uh, touchdown interception ratio? And what we found was that there were a lot of games where he only threw like 112 yards, and last week he threw 131 yards for a touchdown and interception. Now I know the I've I've watched. I think every Packers game this year. Most, most. And you're right. They are a deeply malaise team. They play very, very well for two quarters. Then they kind of take a quarter off, and then they do enough to win. At the end of the day, Jimmy Garoppolo throwing 150 yards or 160 yards for a touchdown and an interception is not going to beat the third or fourth best quarterback of my lifetime in a playoff game. Aaron Rodgers, I would take this game all day. I would take this game at four and a half. I will say this. If, so if, if last week, if Pete Carroll cuts Russell Wilson loose from the beginning versus like throwing Marshawn Lynch and whoever the fuck they signed off the practice squad to, to, to partner with him in the backfield instead of which is what they did in the first half and they got their asses kicked. Then Wilson comes in and he brings them right back into the game. You know, we might not see the Packers here, um, but I'm still. The, I'm still. The the Packers look terrible and win. I get it, but they look terrible and lost the last time they played them. I, I'm going to just you know. All right. So, the other game is the Titans getting. I think it's now down to seven from the Chiefs. The over under in this game is fifty one and a half. So I think if you're going to take the Titans, you're going to take the under with the Titans because that means. 
that there have been very few possessions. The Chiefs looked terrifying last week. Just terrifying. But there is a reason why Andy Reid has never been to the Super Bowl. He is a wonderful coach. Oh, he went he went once and he lost it. Uh, but he's never won a Super Bowl. He went once with Eagles. McNabb. Yeah. Um, with McNabb and McNabb threw up uh in the huddle. Which is which probably kept him out of the top hundred. I think I think this is one of those games that it could be like, I don't know, twenty four fourteen or something and they cut and they get a late they get a late touchdown. Derrick Henry is just a force of nature. Tannehill will throw. I'm I'm very confident Tannehill, Tannehill will cut uh, will break three digits this time in, in terms of passing. They do have they have had a decent passing attack. The Chiefs don't stop the run at all. I'm going to take the Titans in the under, and I'm mostly going to take it because I need Derrick Henry to play in the Super Bowl and not Patrick Mahomes if I'm going to finally win a season. When Mahomes went down earlier this year, and they kind of. You know the Chiefs were kind of they were kind of float some of those weeks, and then he comes back, and he's not quite he's not quite right. He's not quite Mahomes of last year, but they're they're winning games. They finished season strong. I've kind of thought that they've been a sleeping giant to have that thought, and then last week to go down twenty four points and to just absolutely blow the doors off of Houston in that second and then in the last three quarters. Really, I love the Chiefs in this game. Um, I, I just I. I can't. I can't make a case for for, for, the, for the Titans here. It's been it's been a, it's been a great ride, and I think Henry's going to get his yards, but it's not going to be enough. They're going to they're the Titans are going to be put in a position where they're going to have to throw. Um, I don't think they're going to be able to dictate um, sort of the pace and the tenor of the game like they did against uh, New England, like they did against Baltimore. Chiefs jump ahead early. Uh, if, if I had to take the two on this, I mean, I would take Kansas City all day, uh, getting or losing seven. Uh, the over-under, I wouldn't touch, but if I had to, I'd have to take the over, taking Kansas City. The only reason I don't like the over-under is just the, the Tennessee Titans and Derrick Henry and being able to run that ball and keep control of the clock could keep a team like Kansas City, you know, to not score 50 points. But I'm pretty sure Kansas City can put the over by themselves. It, it, so if I have to choose both, I'm taking the over and I'm taking uh, Kansas City. No, I think that's a good point. I mean, Kansas City put up 48 points last week. I... I've really enjoyed this Titans run. I've loved watching Derrick Henry. Uh, he's one of the most exciting players on the field, on any field right now. Uh, and Mike Vrabel, even though he's a pat, has this kind of weird intensity that I like, uh, much like a Bill O'Brien or a Greg Williams. But I... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. Greg Williams is a good, <laughs> good one, yeah. Bounty gate. Hey, Jam- Jamal Adams had a good year. Yeah. Um, you know, Dad, I want to disagree with you again on this, because you talk about Andy Reid. And I'm going to bet Chiefs covering the spread. And Andy Reid's going to go to the Super Bowl this year. And I believe it because of this. When I was a child, my aunt decided that it would be a good idea to keep me busy and stop bothering everybody if she gave me a gift at Christmas, which had like $20 in this very intricate puzzle that I had to figure out. And it was just for hours I was trying to figure it out. And I like to imagine that Patrick Mahomes at some point will walk over to Andy Reid with like a burrito in one of those puzzles. And it'll just keep him busy for the last two and a half minutes, and Mahomes will just run the offense. And then instead of the Chiefs ending with all three timeouts and running out of the clock for some reason, uh, they're going to go to the Super Bowl, and then we're going to have Chiefs-Packers in the Super Bowl, and probably uh, one of the more exciting games we've had in a long time. A rematch of Super Bowl two. I would like to point out the quarterback rating 
which is not a perfect statistic, but it's something. Um, Aaron Rodgers finished 14th this year. He finished ahead of Matt Ryan. He is not as good as Matt Ryan. And he finished ahead of Carson Wentz. And going into next year, I would rather have Carson Wentz for the four games he plays before he gets hurt. He is clearly behind Drew Brees, Lamar Jackson, Kirk Cousins, uh, Wilson, Stafford, Mahomes, Dak Prescott, Watson, and Ryan. He's clearly and, behind and them. In out of that points. list, yeah, but like one of those other ones, is the, still Jacoby, playing? Jacoby Brissett, the Kirk Cousins. <laughs> no, who's he's still like, playing? Ryan Fitzpatrick. Claiming he's behind Kirk Cousins is just offensive. It is. We've never seen the position played this well. Is my takeaway from that? Because like, what, what is what's the number on his on his rating to finish to finish fourteenth or fifteenth or whatever? It's like ninety. Yeah, how can he have that low of a rating? It can't be that low, but like, but that's that's how good. That's how no, the bar is. No, no. The reason it's ninety five point four. The reason he has that lower rating. And that's not a low. Like historically, that is not no, a low rating at all. All right. But that's let's the take, level of play. Right. play. Let's have a guess of how many three hundred yard games he had. Three. Oh, that's that you, you missed by three. So, so six. No oh. zero. <laughs> all right. um, I was hopeful. What was his so? I mean, he. You know. But he probably cleared. Four, did he clear four thousand? Yes, four thousand two. And that's not even a benchmark anymore. Yeah. Like I said, no, it, it's not. It's... He also threw for a whopping total of. Here we go. I guess he had twenty six. He had twenty six touchdowns, which is good. He, he's also mastered the Peyton Manning. I'm going to throw the ball from the two yard line constantly. <laughs> um, but I mean, I don't listen. He's one of the great quarterbacks of all time. That time has passed. He's just not that guy. Maybe he'll be that guy again, but I this year that. was a rough year. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I, I get into the the tennis majors, and we we spent a lot of time tonight talking about the like societal social impacts of the Australian Open. And um, would you like me to read down some odds of the top players, Hell or yeah. do you have any? Okay, sure. I've got so we'll do men's and women's. We'll start with the top three men's favorites. I have. So I found a page that had just does men's and women's both on the same page. So I'll just I'm going to use that page. Men's, the defending champion Novak Djokovic to win the tournament is a plus one thirty five favorite. Rafael Nadal, another historical great, plus four hundred. The third favorite, a name I don't think many have heard of. I've seen him like once or twice. Uh, Daniil Medvedev, young Russian, plus seven hundred. Um, you've got out of this field of one hundred twenty eight. Uh, Roger Federer to win the tournament, plus 1,000. Uh, Zach, give me that Greek guy's name again. Stefanos Sisipa. Fifth favorite at plus 1,100. Uh, Dominic Thiem, not a good court for him, but he's plus 1,400. Alexander Zverev, another young gun, plus 1,600. The highest rated Australian young gun, head case. I'd love to get into this guy in a future pod. Nick Kyrgios, plus 2,800. Uh, Marin Chilik, who's won Grand Slams, plus 4,000. Stan Wawrinka, who's won Grand Slams, plus 4,000. I'll leave it there. Um, women's. Serena, the GOAT. Odds on favorite, plus 400. Her latest conqueror, Naomi Osaka, plus 650. The hometown girl, the number one seed, Ashley Barty, plus 750. Long shots. What do we got here? We got Americans. Madison Keys, plus 1,600. American Stone Stevens, plus 2,800. Simona Halep, this fun, just head, this Eastern European head case, plus 900. Um, that's all that's really interesting to me on the women's side. Um, 
my picks. I think Joker's going to win the tournament. I think this is <clears throat> this has been his best Grand Slam for his career. He's a form. He's in form. He's the number one seed. Um, I mean, plus one thirty-five. Like, I, you know, I mean, I guess I'll bet a hundred to win one thirty-five, but uh, it's not very sexy. Dark Horse, though, the hometown boy Nick Kyrgios, um, who is mercurial. He's he is. You think tennis brat? You think McEnroe? You think tennis brat in like twenty twenty? It's Nick Kyrgios. YouTube Nick Kyrgios, all of you, and watch some fucking outrageous temper tantrums. He's a fucking psychopath, but he's also gifted, and he's um, he's he's just he's a, an interesting personality in the sport going forward uh, until he self destructs himself out of the sport, which could be imminent like any day or any major now. On the woman's side, um, Naomi Osaka, defending champ, um, the conqueror. The, the the if you guys remember the Serena match at the U.S. Open final a couple of years ago, where yep. she kind of had that implosion with the with the chair umpire and not that it was an implosion it was just the you know it was a very sort of demonstrative it didn't play well for her to, to her critics um well osaka was on the other side of the net she won that match she won that u.s open she's the defending champ here um plus six plus 650 uh give me naomi osaka knowing nothing i will take the two australians because i believe that maybe they've gotten more acclimated just breathing hideous, horrible air. I do think it's going to be a tournament for the young, not the older, for that reason. On the women's side, I agree. Naomi Osaka, um, I think she's going to win. And on the men's side, uh, you know, I'm going to go with the Greek god. He now lives in Monte Carlo. He's the Monte Carlo masochist. Stefanos Sisipa. Let's do. He beat Federer here last year. Why would he be the masochist? He takes he he really enjoys beating people to an almost uncomfortable level. But that would make him a sadist. A masochist would mean he would like to get beaten by a lot. Oh, but, I don't know what happens. After you the, know what? <laughs> I don't know what happens after the tournament. <laughs> I don't know what John McEnroe's doing later. <laughs> no, no, no. Freddie Kitchen is, yeah. is a Montenegro masochist. <laughs> but yes, I'm gonna go Cece Pa. Uh, mostly because I hope I get to say his name for a few more days. And uh, Naomi Osaka. All right, uh, I'm a huge Novak Djokovic fan, but I think that the weather conditions down there are, I mean, he literally spends like four hours in a tube before he goes out and plays for air quality. He has asthma. Uh, I, I don't think it's that's going to add up well for any uh, any of the older players. Uh, that's why if I was going to put anybody out there, I'd go with, somebody, I'd go with Dominic Thielen. He's young, um, and he's, he's played good. Uh, from what I've read, I haven't watched a lot of tennis lately. Um, and in the women's going young again, I can't go with anybody old. I'm going to go with Naomi Osaka, I think, which is pretty much it. Almost a universal pick at this point. Team's a good pick because he's a grinder. He, he's he's a he's a clay court specialist. Um, he's used to long matches, like you said. He's young, has really great French Open results, and that's and the French Open is that's the grinders tournament. And the Australian Open is a slower hard court. It's probably the closest appropriation to the clay court. Um, that's a good pick. I like that. Thanks. Hey, and my all right. Limited expertise. <laughs> Good luck to the people of Australia. Thank God for the wombats and sex workers, and we'll see you next week. All right. Up next are the uh, usual outtakes and weird things I had to pull out. Um, there's also a couple long ones at the end. Uh, one looks to be about a minute, and then the other one's like a long time, but it was kind of what we talked about post and shit like that. So if you want to listen to it, let's do it. If you don't, probably a lot of dead shit in there because I don't think we're on the mic much. Yeah, so girl, um, <laughs> she's called him girl. So girl, oh, I, I, <laughs> hey girl, hey girl, hey girl. Slide in those DMs. 
I'm not a closer. <laughs> I like the Packers at that number a lot. You like the pa- you like no, the Niners? No, no, I like, no, I'm sorry. I like the Niners. Well, you you just talk no, shit about the Packers. No, I like the Packers. Eric. Wait, cut that. <laughs> I like the Niners. I like the Niners giving seven and a half. This one's just for Zach. Uh, seven is the spread. On the Saints, or sorry, on the Chiefs, not only covering, but also covering, the, not only covering the seven, but also covering the spread. So, just one note in terms of grinding it out. I don't know if anybody heard uh, the Mina Kimes thing on the uh, on the daily about the fact that tennis, I mean, the chess grandmasters burn sixty five hundred calories a match and will drop two and three pounds a day playing chess because of the mental energy. So perhaps that'll you know perhaps the smartest player is the one that's in the most trouble. <laughs> You know, maybe. So wait, what maybe, you're saying is we can all count this as an hour of the gym a week. <laughs> maybe. God. I, I, oh, I, 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 already, I already do. I don't believe we're counting it. I don't believe our, our thought processes are quite as demanding. You know, maybe guys like LeBron <laughs> or Joey Bosa can get up there in their little half shirts and look ripped. But they're not the real gods. They're not cut for marble. Muriel's Kokachengo. <laughs> Ukrainian chess master I, is I, really the, I recommend, the Greek guy. I re- recommend everybody find that and listen to it. It is the most lunatic um, 20 minutes you'll ever read. And with that, good luck to the people of Australia. Thank God for the wombats and sex workers, and we'll see you next week. All right. Uh, I'm not going to stop recording. Stay on the mic. Stay on the headphones. Uh, just to get over some things for next... The few next few things. Shit, I need to open it up. It's not much today. Oh, wait, Trump just tweeted, this is just another Democratic sham. This was only supposed to be done in the House, not the Senate. The man man does not know fifth grade social studies. Well, beyond that, it is so infuriating to say, we kept every bit of evidence against you uh, uh, that, that you asked for. You found it anyway, but now you can't use it because you because we didn't give it to you. It is the fact. At some moment, I feel like maybe I'll wake up and every Republican is going to say, "Yeah, this is this is bad shit. We're going to all lose, and that's going to be the end of it." If I, they, you know what, that's what we should have bet on. We'll four, I, we'll four, we'll four, de- we'll four Republicans break. Okay, if I had to make hold a on bet. before we go off on any rants, let me stay on the podcast for a minute. Uh, so next one we're recording twenty first next Tuesday is that uh, no I, I'm not in Connecticut next week at all I, I I will be in next a week from Sunday no that's fine yeah that's what I have to do yeah, it. we can do Sunday yeah I mean we may have we to miss the Pro Bowl it'll be the, the what well okay <laughs> no, it'll be the, so it'll here's be the Packers, here, here's uh, because we're kind no of it'll be the Snow yeah that's, right, yes. <laughs> that's okay. right we'll here's, get to watch Aaron Rodgers here's what I'm trying to go through this. <laughs> oh wait he didn't make the, <laughs> he didn't make the team <laughs> well, he'll be busy. <laughs> Um, here's what I'm trying to do this is that I think that it'd be better if when we leave here even tonight to have a rough idea of our topics even for the next two weeks even if they change um, so like I looked up just looking at a couple of things I didn't do anything in politics because you guys know more about that um, but that you know I, I was planning on us recording next week the 21st uh, so you, 
on the weekend of that, 24th to the 27th, is the Winter X Games. We've got the NHS All-Star, NHL All-Star Weekend. We've got the NFL Pro Bowl. We've got a UFC Fight Night. And then I was also thinking the week after that, what are things that are coming up that we can think about talking about? You've got boxing on ASPN, which is going to be Ramirez and Porcelain. You've got the Super Bowl. Um, and then, you know, a couple weeks after that, on like the 15th, there's the NHL um, – Base, you know when they do AHL in the baseball stadiums, the baseball Winter classic Sta- stadium Classics. series, stadium yeah. series, which is fucking amazing. Um, just trying to think about some things that we can plan a little bit more well, in advance. Given, but still run things out. Given that the Pro Bowl and the NHL All Star Game are the same weekend, somehow we could talk about whether we well, need well, All Star well, Games. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, but we would be talking about that actually the week after on the 29th because we won't be here next week. So we would be talking about well, that literally. No, I'll I'll be here. I leave the twentieth. I come back the twenty fifth. The Pro so Bowl is the twenty seventh. So you leave the twentieth mm-hmm. to the twenty fifth. We could do it the twenty sixth, which would be when they're both on. All right, I, I could do a, a week from Sunday. <laughs> a week, I mean, I is the twenty fifth a su- Saturday or Sunday? Twenty seventh. Twenty fifth is a Saturday. Twenty sixth oh. is the All-Star. Sunday. So I'll do. The, I'll, I could do the twenty sixth. I'll just stay here. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I figured you don't want to come home from a play to that. Okay, so in that case, yeah. Well, it's all, I'm also getting home at midnight. Are we going? I'm leaving. I'm we'll leaving. I'm leaving Newark at six a.m. and returning in Newark at midnight. Sounds fun. She got, she got good tickets. Uh, so then we'd be going twenty sixth to 29th? I just am thinking if we record Sunday, giving everybody a three day heads up for the next podcast is kind of shitty. So well, we should... are we doing the 29th? Or are we going? Well, is that, is that's that, a Sunday. I mean, what what day are we trying to at least regularly? Well, we we do? we were going to do Fridays, but Fridays. Like, I, I'm fine doing Fridays, but like it means that we release it on Sunday after all the events that we've talked about have already happened. Okay, that's what really sucks. So we could do it. Yeah, we have we have to do it either. I, I think like, Tuesday or Wednesday are the best because that gives me. Okay, a, that's fine. Friday, yeah, but Wednesday works. Or Monday, I. Yeah, I mean, actually, these are practices. We don't have to do a Tuesday, a, yeah, a no, Sunday, no, yeah. and a Tuesday. We're, we could just do one. But, Basically, the right. next two, maybe three, are our last practices. Right. So we'll do. Why don't we do this Sunday coming? Not yep. this Sunday. The following okay. Sunday, and then we'll do come back a week from Tuesday, so that we have like seven. We have nine days, nine days. but at least yeah. yeah. I'm fine with that. So that would be. No, we can't do that. Andrew will be gone. So no, I. I... No, take it because we're at the end. But of I can, so I'm talking about the first. So that first weekend would be like the, the ninth. Would be the fifth. Would be I'm. What's that? A, the, is that the Wednesday that week? That's the Wednesday. That I week. may not be gone. Uh, I'll, uh, I might. I might head out the sixth on the Thursday. I can't do the fifth because I, I have. I have and this is why we need to. No, no, no. I'll, I'll make oh, it work. I will make it work that week. I can do the next two days. I can do the sixth. Okay, we can do the sixth. Or the does that work for you? Because I know he's planning a vacation for that weekend. Which I don't mind if we don't. If we. I can do it. I'd love I don't to. Mind if we don't come back till the thirteenth, test I just, the remote. I know everybody's. This is kind of a busy week. That week is. If what's, we were in a live podcast, I could record super, super, any of the. I right. could play the last eight that we've had. But right. I'm just trying to figure out what that. The super Bowl is the second. That's a Sunday. Super Bowl's I'm off work third to the tenth. Monday's yeah. third. Th- I'm probably out the sixth through like the tenth. I'm probably like out. Yeah. Not going to be around. If we're, if we're going to talk so about the, the, the following week, we could do Sunday before the Super Bowl. I can do that. Well, well, that's well, that's your, that's the next one, right? Oh yeah, wait. You know what? I say that, but you never know if there's Super Bowl parties and things. And that's yeah. why. Well, the Sunday before well, and, the Sunday and, before and the Ed, Super Bowl is Ed. the Pro Bowl and the right. So we're doing yeah, no, and we're doing one the Sunday before the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Then, then the Sunday of the Super Bowl, I'm kind of busy. Okay, 
Okay. I, I have plans on that day. Sunday before he'll the Super be, Bowl? He'll be out no, of the No, the Sunday of the Super Bowl. Okay. The Sunday before, we're oh, doing it. Oh, you'll be away. Yeah, that's right. You'll be away. It's the yeah. Pro Bowl. We're doing so the, we're... the 26th. Right. So, and what time? Like, <coughs> well, it's fucking Sunday. <coughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. Where I'm, I'm free usually after like 4, 35 o'clock. Okay, we'll no, do... our next one is Pro Bowl Sunday. I'll do and like then after that, we're trying to figure it out. Which is probably going to end up being like 12. Okay.